all good? Wonderful. Uh, when James asked me if I could speak on one of the Ten Commandments, he gave me Exodus 20, verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And I thought, thank you, James. Here we go. Why couldn't I have stealing? You know, one of the easy ones. But then after listening to um, Scott the other week, well, maybe that wasn't so easy either. But I was reminded of a, uh, uh, a te teacher, a theologian, talking about scripture. And he put it in this picture where you can be on a nice tropical beach. Maybe there's some islands out in the... You know, just off the water there and it's a bit of a horseshoe so you've got this lovely scene and uh, you can sit on the beach and you go, this is nice. And in Australia you get sunburnt so later you don't think it's nice. Or then you think, I might go for a swim. Maybe there's some nice waves, you can do a bit of body surfing or a bit of boogie boarding. Oh, this is fantastic. And then you think, there's a reef just out there. Maybe I'll go a little deeper and I'll go snorkeling. So you grab your snorkel and your flippers and you paddle out and have a look around. That's amazing. Who likes snorkeling? Who hasn't been snorkeling? Do yourself a favour. That's great. But then, you know, there's another level. Sandy and I were at Heron Island. We were able to go to Heron Island one time and we're talking with this young girl and she scuba dives. And we said, so what's... You know, when you're floating along the top of the water, you, you see everything. You said, no, you don't. There is so much more when you get deeper down there. So this morning when it comes to Exodus 27, I'm going to try and get us at least off the beach. And as I've been just looking at things over the week, I've, I've, it's, it's so true. The more you look at Scripture, the more you study, the more, the more you see, and it's an amazing so while we're looking at the Ten Commandments, we've been doing this, this um, series on the Ten Commandments. Now that's Old Testament. You, you throw it in with the law and, and the, all this sort of thing. And you're thinking, well, do you know Jesus, from the moment he was born to the moment he went to be with his father, lived, worked, ministered, spoke within the parameters of the law and the prophets. He didn't use the New Testament because there weren't one. But the difference is, I think it's in Matthew, he says, take my yoke because it's light and easy. A yoke was a term used for rabbis for their teaching. The same as today, pastors, ministers, priests, whatever, whoever stands in a place to preach. Their yoke can be heavy or their yoke can be light. In other words, I can preach a message that will burden you or I can preach a message that will bring you life and bring you freedom using the same scriptures. Do you know that the two greatest commandments... I'm sure we've read or we've heard it preached. The two greatest commandments. They're not New Testament. 
Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. Leviticus 19.18, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbour as yourself. The two greatest commandments. Can we say all? all. Scripture. Scripture. After three, we'll say them together. One, two, three. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture. Here's something to ponder later, not during the rest of the service, when you get home. Exodus 20, verse 1 and 2 says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. God gave them ten commandments after he had set them free from the bondage of slavery. Is he going to give them something that puts them back into bondage? What he gave didn't give, put the people in bondage. What the people did with what he gave them is why they were in bondage. See, after hundreds of years, they would have no comprehension of what being a free person is like. There wouldn't be one person that had experienced freedom. They would have a slave mentality. So he had to give them these Ten Commandments to start with so that they would be a new nation and they'd be different to the nations around them for the glory of his name. We can come under bondage to the New Testament just as easily as the Old Testament, as I said, if we don't continually look through the lens of God's grace, mercy and love. The third commandment. You shall not take the name of your Lord, your God, in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In August 1980, I was sent by the army to B Troop 9 Transport Squadron in Townsville as a driver. And I remember distinctly one of the first roll calls I attended. Corporal Cap Cappy Bly uh, was taking the roll. You know, Brown, Smith, Jones, Cusack. Is that the correct pronunciation of your name, uh, Soldier Private? Oh, it's okay, Corporal. No, it's not okay. What is the correct pronunciation? Cusack. Thank you. I don't know why you got it wrong, C-U-S-A-C-K. Why would you not say that, Cusack? I have no idea. Oh, the early service got it. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we will move on. It's important to get your name correct because names matter. I'm going to indulge this morning with a little bit of a movie, a couple of movie clips. And uh, so the first one is Tell Me Your Name. It's from Gladiator. I'll get out of...
It gets better every time I watch it. <laughs> I love it. My name is Malcolm Leith Cusack, private in the Australian Army in the North, father to three children, husband to one wife, all living. <laughs> oh, that was a better lot than the first. They must have still been asleep. But I don't think it's quite going to get to the movies, is it? That's got to be one of the best little speeches of all time, I reckon. You might notice that's Emperor Commodus. Um, he probably looks a little bit worried and a little bit concerned. And if you haven't seen the movie, the reason being he's every right to look like that. Because at the beginning of the movie, he killed his father, Marcus Aurelius, who was going to hand, he was the emperor of Rome, the Roman Empire, and he was going to hand it over to Maximus because his son was a useless whatever, no good, and he proved that later. And uh, not only did he kill his father, he sent uh, a group of soldiers off with uh, Maximus to be killed. He escaped, he um, got, got caught by some slavers, he was enslaved, he became a gladiator, and eventually turned up in Rome at the Colosseum, and he became a hero among the mob. Don't you love that? The Roman people were called the mob. I like that. I like that. So um, it goes on. We're going to have another clip, but I'll just give you the background of this bit. Uh, Marcus, uh, what's his name? Maximus is, you know, hanging in chains, and uh, Commodus goes up to him, and says, we're going to fight in the arena. Right. And just to make it to be kind of a fair fight, he stabs Maximus with a spear with a poisoned head on it. So he knows full well that he's going to win. So let's just watch the next clip. A good name is more powerful than having a title. He was a soldier of Rome. Honour him. The people honoured him for his good name, unlike Emperor Commodus. Commodus was the most powerful man in the world at the time. He was the emperor of the Roman Empire. He could do anything. And yet, he lays to the side, hardly noticed, dead. 
and the slave is given a soldier's honour as the body leaves the arena because of his name. The real Emperor Commodus was quite mad. Roman emperors were either really, really good or they were really, really bad. They didn't seem to be able to match the two in the middle somewhere. And Commodus was one of the worst. But he did fight gladiators. When I watched the movie the first time, I thought an emperor wouldn't go fighting gladiators. But he did. But of course, if you're a gladiator, it doesn't matter how good a gladiator you are, you're a slave in the Roman Empire. Are you going to hurt the emperor? No. Either that or you were so wounded you couldn't fight properly anyway. So he would slay people and animals and the whole thing making himself look really, really good. He gave himself a grand name. Emperor Commodus Lucius Aelius Aurelius Commodus Augustus Herculius Romanus Exuperatorius Amazonius Invictus Felix Pius. Is that getting annoying? It is for me. Have you got, can we change, should we change mics? I don't know what I'm doing maybe. I did shave this morning. Is that better? I was talking about, yeah, I'm not going to repeat that name. But the mob, the Roman mob thought otherwise. As to them, the Caesar fighting in the arena, in the arena was degrading and brought dishonour to that position of emperor. So you can't give yourself a good name. In Proverbs 22 verse 1 it says, this is written by the most wealthiest man that has ever lived, historians would tell us. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favour rather than silver and gold. Unlike Emperor Commodus, you choose your good name by living a life of integrity and good character. Others will give you the good name. I can remember growing up, going places with my dad, whether it was the, you know, the hardware store or the, we didn't have a Bunnings or your, what we would call in our town was down the street, uh, shopping or, or wherever, or at the footy or something. And my dad was always greeted with respect. You know, oh, g'day, Noel, how are you? Oh, hi, Noel. There was, there was never any, I never sort of saw any sort of, oh, hi, Noel, mm -hmm, sort of stuff. And I could tell that even as a young person that he had a good name. Now what is interesting is my dad was in, was in insurance. Yep, right down there with all those others that, uh, you know, were unscrupulous and cheating and I, I won't talk about politicians, car dealers and bankers and real estate because there could be one in the congregation. <laughs> but it doesn't matter your position. We've seen that on the, on the clips. He was a slave, but he had a better name than the emperor. Yeah. 
when my mum passed away some years ago, I, I, had the, I was able to stay a couple of weeks with Dad and we went to a little town out of Mount Gambia called Panola where Mum and Dad used to often go for morning teas or lunches to this cafe and we went there for lunch and we were sitting there talking and a, a guy and his wife were over there to one side. As he got up, he came over and he said, Noel Cusack? There's a, yeah, you know, yes, yes. Um, you might not remember me. I'm, you know, Bill Bloggs, and I used to work in Elders in Bordertown, and I, I know you from from those days. And this bloke was a few years younger than Dad, but uh, my dad hadn't worked in Elders in Bordertown for at least thirty years. And yet, this man, I could, this man was uh, honoured, no, not in a you know huge. Way, but it was it was nice to see Dad, because obviously Dad was a bloke with a good name. The Amplified Version puts Exodus 27 like this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, that is, irreverently, in false accusations, or in ways that impunge, isn't that a good word, impunge, impugn, I don't know how to pronounce it. That means to call into question the character of God. For the Lord will not hold guiltless nor leave unpunished the one who takes his name in vain, disregarding its reverence and its power. The word name is more than what a person is called. In the Bible it can refer to one's nature, character. And being so in this context, associating the character of God with anything untrue was strictly prohibited. Why would this be a command? Why would God command us to be careful how we use his name? Why would he punish people who take his name in vain? In the Old Testament under the law, the rocks were coming out. The answer is simple. It is because God is holy, pure, perfect and righteous. To use his name is to bring attention to who he is. To use his name means that you are acknowledging his existence. To use his name is to call upon the one who has proclaimed who and what he is by his name. So what does in vain actually mean? In an article called Rethink, Pastor Jeffrey Curtis Poor writes the following. The next question we should be asking about this verse is what does in vain mean? The Hebrew word we translate as vain carries a meaning of empty, hollow, nothing, worthless or to no good purpose. This doesn't mean that we should avoid saying God's name or as some do, rather that we should be careful how we use his name. We tend to downplay the importance of names in our culture, but that wasn't always the case. In ancient culture, your name meant something. It had value. It told others who you were. And the same is true with the name of God. His name has meaning and power. It's holy. Therefore, we shouldn't use it if it's an empty, hollow, worthless or in vain. That's what this commandment is getting at. We are forbidden from taking the name of God or representing him in a manner that is wicked, worthless, or for our own gain. 
Let me translate the idea of this verse this way. We are God's ambassadors and therefore we should represent him well to those around us. Taking the Lord's name in vain happens when we misrepresent him to those around us. We need to be careful to show respect and honour to our God. Oh my God, you should have been there. Oh my God, it was um, so amazing. Oh my God, they were right in front of us. They just come in. We were just standing there. Oh my God. Anyone ever heard that? Don't put your hand up. Who says it? This is the only one I'll do it on. Please stop. Because it's not doing God any good. The other one, which is my favourite. Be careful with this one. Person comes up to me and said, God told me. <laughs> Did he? Many times what they're saying is, God told me, so there's nothing you can do about it. I don't know about that. They're using it wrongly. I'm sure all of us here today has had a, a time where God has spoken to you somehow, whether it's just a sense or a feeling or you think. Use those terms. Because then when you're wrong, God doesn't get blamed. That's a biggie. The other one is being flippant with God's name, treating it with no respect or treating God like a genie. When you're in a mess, oh God, I need money. You can nearly hear him say, who? Because you've had nothing to do with him or you've, you know, just, just, being, just using it however you think you ought to. That's not how we should do it. Matthew 6 verse 9 says, In this manner therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is, hallowed is to set apart, keep and treat as holy, revere. So I don't want so much, well I don't want, apart from those three examples, to, to talk about what we shouldn't do. But I want to talk about the why and the how we can stop ourselves from taking the Lord's name in vain. It starts right at the beginning, Genesis 1, chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word God there is Ilium, the creator God. He is transcendent. He is distinct from his creation and he exists outside his creation. Don't ask me to explain that. In the book of Job, if we know anything about Job, there's well, uh, pretty much up to... Chapter 37, there's all this toing and froing about God and his mates are telling him he should be doing that and he's arguing back and it's just all these arguments. And then in verse uh, chapter 38, verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man, I will question you and you shall answer me. 
Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted with joy. It goes on through chapter 38, 39, 40 and 41. Asking Job, where was he? What does he know about it? That wonderful old hymn, How Great Thou Art by Carl Boberg. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, the power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my saviour God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my saviour God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Our God is great. Psalm 8, 1, O Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 29, give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Psalm 86, teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in the truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I'd like to put you to what I would probably consider the most important reason why we should not take the, the Lord our God's name in vain. One word, love. The second verse of how great thou art is when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. We shall give reverence and honour to God's name out of his love for us. In Ephesians chapter 5, there's a beautiful passage about God and his church. I'll just, 25 to 27 says, Husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's using the marriage covenant as a picture of God's love for his church through his son, Jesus Christ. I've learnt to start in the middle of that passage because I know if I start where most people start from, the men go, yeah, you listening? To their wives and the women go, submit, never. The thing is, we start at verse 22 when we should start at verse 1. Walking in love, walking in light, walking in wisdom, submitting to one another in the fear of God. How do we do it? Wives, 
submit to your husbands. Husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. All the women have to do is submit. They get the easy job. Easy job. But husbands, if you want to be king, make sure she's queen. But that's what that submission is talking about. It's not being a doormat or, you know, that sort of, it's about our love here this morning. We submit to Christ out of his love for us. We respect, we honour Christ. We honour the Father. We honour God, no matter the title, out of the love that he's given us. So how can we avoid taking the Lord's name in vain, emptying it of its significance? I've been told one of these scriptures is wrong, so I'll just go on. <laughs> we need to know God. <coughs> Proverbs 8:17. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. If you're on the beach, go for a swim. If you're swimming, grab a snorkel and flippers. If you're snorkeling, grab a scuba tank. It's the only place you'll get to know God. The internet today, we have wonderful preachers. We have some ordinary preachers. We have some that shouldn't even be on there. There's all sorts of things. That is where you get to know God. Delight in God. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his what? Commandments. I heard that. Yes, good. Yeah. One on my side. That's good. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his. Psalm 119, the whole psalm, the longest psalm. I think it's the longest chapter in the Bible, isn't it? It's all talking about the love of God's word. Every verse. Revere God. Therefore, since we, have, uh, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude, gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Love God. Ten, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 10. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbour as yourself. I don't think we could ever love God in return for his love for us, but we continue to, we can uh, surely continue to do better. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit, for men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. If we're continually looking to know God better, if we want to delight more, we revere God and love God as best we can. 
Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth shall speak. His name was too holy to say, too holy to write. Through Christ, we can call him Father. That was something that had never been done before and he copped a bit of flack by calling God his Father. It was too holy. And yet even more intimately, Abba Father, in Romans 8, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by the whom we cry out, Abba, Father. In the Aramaic scriptures it says, Abba, Aban, Father, our Father. Very intimate and personal, personal like Dad or Daddy, something, or Poppy, something like that. I, uh, apart from, uh, you know, Gladiator, slice them up, cut them up, battle scene movies, I also like those... I think they call them period movies, the Victorian era, and uh, where everything's all uh, prompt and popper, proper and, uh, you know, pious. And you, you'll, you'll see a young boy come into the room where his, his father is doing whatever fathers used to do in those rich places. And, oh, father, father, can I go down and play with the boys in the village? Because, you know, Tom from the, the uh, stable is going, oh, please, father. Father, 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 you know, very, his sister comes in. Papa, can I please go as well with Tom and the others to the village? Because she likes Tom from the stables. That's always part of the movie. The girls always have the papa because they've got dad round their little fingers, haven't they? And all the, all, the, all the younger girls go, yup. When I was growing up, mum and dad were always mum and dad. That personal, never called the mother or father. But it was always said with respect. Both have passed away, but still when I think or I'm telling someone a story about mum or dad did this or said this, there's always that um, intimacy and that respect that mum and dad was brought. They were human. They were pretty good, decent humans. But they were flawed like all of us. And yet our family, my brothers, daughter-in-laws, grandchildren, we all had that intimacy with them as mum and dad. How much more should the name of God be honoured and respected? God is all-knowing, all-powerful and ever-present. Creator of all things. And he wants to have an intimate relation with each and every one of us. We need to restore our awareness of the reverence of God. Walking in his masterpiece as his children and using his name correctly makes us aware of his greatness, his presence, his goodness and his everlasting love for each and every one of us. The last verse of how great thou art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim my God how great thou art. 
let's not wait. Let's proclaim it now by not taking his name in vain. As the team come up, would you uh, please stand? Have we got a team? <laughs> we'll start without them. I promise I won't sing, Kate. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge you this morning that you are the all-knowing, all-powerful and ever-present God, creator of all things. I know for me, just to comprehend all that is, uh, can be just a bit above my uh, IQ grade. But I believe what your word says. We thank you for your name, that your name is holy and righteous and sacred. Father, I know I've, I've used it in the incorrect manners, and I'm sure each and every one of us here has. But I thank you, Father, that unlike the times when you put that in the Ten Commandments, not to take your name in vain, that back then the result was a, was a horrible death by stoning. But I thank you, Father, we don't live in those times. We're not under that burden of, of that, that teaching, that through your Son, Jesus Christ, we've been set free from that. I thank you, Lord, that we, when we don't use your name correctly, that help us to be aware of that and to acknowledge that, that we, have, we, we do understand that we've done it wrong, that we can come before you. And I know that you say in your word, you will, you will forgive us because of your great love for each and every one of us. Help us just to be more aware as we use your name with respect and honour. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just sing one more time.